The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where our one and only goal every single week is to give you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today, we're going to have a conversation to try to make it clear to those of you who don't understand what the big deal about seller financing is. What the big deal about seller financing is. I know it's like the people who, the people who do it and like it, it's like they're evangelists. They want to convert everybody to doing seller finance deals. And then they start talking about the deal they did and it's kind of confusing. And you think, good Lord, why didn't they just, Go get a private lender or go to a bank and do that deal. There, there, there's good reasons for all these things. And today we're going to discuss what those good reasons are just to try and get you to, I don't know, put a little time and effort into studying the strategies so that you can go out and do them yourself. I have a combination of in the studio and on the phone, two different guests today to discuss this important and actually super interesting and creative issue. First of all, Michelle Clayton joining us by phone. She's the current president of the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati. She's the co-leader of the Creative Finance Focus Group that is shared by Cincinnati RIA and Central Ohio Real Estate Investors. And she's been a full-time investor for over 15 years now. My second guest is Matthew Adams, student of crazy creative finance deals for over a decade, has enjoyed studying under such folks as Pete Fortunato and Dykes Bodiford, if that means anything to those of you out there in listener land. And in the interest of full disclosure, Matt is also the consort to the real estate goddess. So, uh, Michelle, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hello, thank you. <laughs> just making just making sure we can hear you on the phone there, Michelle. And yeah. welcome to you too, honey. Good afternoon. <laughs> so let's um let's just start with kind of the most basic issue here, which and I know both of you have dealt with this. Heck, both of you have dealt with this in the last week. <laughs> People listening to what you're saying about how seller finance deals are done looking at you blankly and then saying but but why like like it's not even about the it's not even about the how did you do it it's about the but why did you do it so we're we're going to start with Michelle 
And I'm just going to ask you straight up, what is it that you like about doing seller finance deals better than other options you might have, like bringing in a private lender or going to the bank and getting a loan on the same property? Um, there's very there's a lot of different reasons that I enjoy creative finance deals. Um, some of the ideas that come to mind are sometimes that's the only way a deal will work because there's not enough equity to just bring cash to the deal. Um, a lot of times it's a lot easier because then I'm not having to worry about finding a partner or finding a bank to work with. And then also sometimes just because of the nature of the property, it can be more difficult to um, go to a bank. And so there's a lot more flexibility when you're working person to person to make a deal work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Matt, I'm going to ask you the same question. When someone comes to you and says, I could go to the bank or the seller's willing to finance, why are you like 100% of the time going to say do the seller financing? Wow. Do we have enough time in the show? <laughs> Maybe not. Keep it brief. <laughs> well, the number one benefit of seller financing is the relationship with the seller. And once you develop a relationship with a seller with enough trust and rapport such that they will allow you to pay them their equity in one form or another if they have any in uh, payments over time or to take over their existing loan, for example, you're developing a track record with them that can be the source of future deals, future uh, private lender relationships, future uh borrowings and partnerships, and all different other kinds of opportunities when you develop a relationship with someone that you're paying over time. So that's the number one benefit to me. Uh, but there's so many other, uh, and un I think, underappreciated benefits. One is that you can craft solutions to solve tax problems for the seller. You can allow them to not uh, pay an otherwise large tax bill that they would incur and have to outlay money for that in the near term. You can avoid it and defer it entirely legally. You can allow them to spread their tax liability over time by using the installment sale method. Uh, also, the ways in which you can structure and enter deals enabled by seller financing can provide tremendous uh, tax benefits to you. For example, uh, seller financing is one of the easiest and best ways to create non-recourse leverage, and that allows you to put your self-directed account as the buyer of uh, as a buyer of an asset, when you can do that, you can accrue all kinds of uh, tax deferred or tax free benefits to your self directed account through leveraging uh, a seller finance relationship. Uh, we could just we could go on and on and on. Getting a seller financing could also be the source of being able to acquire other deals because just because you uh, put together a deal including seller financing on one deal doesn't mean that that. Uh, that relationship and for the seller, that income stream has to end if for some reason you decide to trade that deal into another deal. They can move their financing with you to another uh, deal. Try uh, Find me a bank that, that will easily uh, do that or even understand how to do that. All of these things are options with properly structured, creative seller financing. Wow, I feel like I need to get out a whiteboard and diagram what you just said for listeners, but we're going to explore this more as the show goes on with some more specifics about seller finance deals and how they work. And speaking of that, Michelle, you have a certain set of seller finance 
types of because I mean, seller financing covers a lot of different things. I mean, we could be talking about a subject to deal. We could be talking about an owner carry back mortgage or a lease option or a land contract or even partnering with the seller. I mean, there's so many different forms of this. You have a couple that that you you're kind of your go to's that you use over and over and over. So can you share with listeners the kinds of seller financing deals that you most commonly do? Sure. Um, The structure that I've used the most often for my creative purchases is buying a property subject to. And the I have bought a property subject to the back taxes. But usually when people think of subject to, they're thinking of buying it subject to the existing mortgage. And I've done that also. And in that scenario, you're literally just get the payment information, you buy the house, and you start making the payments on their behalf. Um, And then oftentimes with my single-family homes, I like to set them up on lease options um, for an exit strategy. So I generally find that I find better quality renters, and then I'm also – you know, hopefully they'll take good care of the property and it's lower maintenance on my end because there's somebody that is invested in the property instead of um, just the standard rental mm-hmm. scenario. So I really appreciate that using those two together. So you don't just go to sellers and say, I would like you to finance. You also do it the other way around and go to buyers and say, I would like to finance for you. Yeah. So, so, so you're, you're like, you're like seriously all in on this seller financing thing, both as a buyer and a seller. That's, that's great. Uh, we need to take a quick break. Listen, listeners, today is your day to ask your seller finance questions. Even if you think they're dumb ones. Even if you've been sitting around for two years going, I don't even understand what a seller carryback is. What are people talking about? No one can see your face. You can give a fake name if you want. You can ask the dumbest seller finance question in the world today, and you're going to get it answered. But in order to do that, you either have to have to give us a call at 877-772-9658. I'm going to say that number again, 877-772-9658. Or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. We're talking today to Michelle Clayton, who has both experience uh, doing seller finance deals and also now over a year's worth of experience helping other people learn to know how to do them through her leadership of the Creative Finance Focus Group of Cincinnati RIA and also Matthew Adams, who is... Um, way into the side of using seller financing to do things like deals in your IRA or 401k and also helping sellers who have, who are going to have tax problems if they sell. In other words, they're selling for a lot more than they paid. And also they have depreciated the property for a long time. And so the IRS says, you have a gigantic capital gain here. Give us 20% of that. He, he likes using those seller finance strategies to help those sellers avoid legally, of course, or defer the problems with the taxes. So 
Um, if you have any questions about the practicalities of doing these deals, why sellers do them, what kinds of properties they're good for, you know, anything like that, our number here in the studio is 877-772-9658, or our email address here in the studio is askvina, A-S-K, V like in Victor, E-N-A, at gmail.com. So going back to you, Michelle, because you have probably now the longest experience of the two of you in trying to get other people to understand this. You've heard many times, I bet, newer investors saying, oh man, you know, that sounds really interesting, but it sounds like it's for advanced people. And I will be sure and learn about that when I've been doing real estate for 20 years. And I know you did your first seller finance deal let's just say way before you'd been in real estate for 20 years, how long did it take you to, to learn? Like, like just the process of figuring out how this deal is done to where you felt confident enough to go make an offer to a seller. Sure. Um, I was one of those people where I always thought, well, that was more advanced and I was intimidated. Um, But what I did is I just started attending the focus group that we had in our organization that focused on creative finance deal structures and continued to attend any classes that came available. And just because I knew it was important, I knew it would help me. And so over time, you just continue to learn the language and learn the concept to where Finally, you know it's possible. You may not know exactly how to do it, but you know it's possible that it's something that can be done and that people have done. And literally, my first um, subject to deals that I did, I just knew the possibility. So I mentioned it to the sellers because it was better in their situation. And they said yes. And so I said, great, let's put it in writing. And then I basically, you know, talked to my real estate attorney and talked to my title company, and they did all the complicated paperwork, but I just had to understand the basic information of that this is a possibility and this is why it would benefit the seller and this is why it would benefit me um, to want to do it. And so those big ideas is what I had to understand and being able to explain it to the seller of why it would make sense for them. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you 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 learned it well enough to be able to understand what the benefits to you were, but also to the seller. And then you kind of dove in by starting to say to sellers, well, would you think about doing a takeover payments deal? And then you let people who had legal expertise <laughs> work on mm-hmm. the paperwork part for you. Yes. Okay. That's- that's my motto. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, roughly how long would you say, because I'm, I'm thinking about all these all these folks who are like, I'm not even going to go to a creative financing class. I'm not even going to go to a focus group about it because it'll take me 20 years to learn to be any good at it. How, how long would you say it actually took you from the first time you heard, whoa, subject two, that sounds interesting, to the time when you were saying to sellers, hey, what if we do a subject two? Um, I started saying it pretty early i a lot of people know i started full-time wholesaling in 2011 
So there was always a question that I asked, but I didn't ask it with confidence to where anybody said yes for a while. And then finally, when I started to understand it enough, um, I would say about one or two years, I started to get people where I was saying it confident enough that people were like, well, tell me more. What does that mean? And so I got more practice explaining it. And then um, it was in 2015 where I had the first opportunity to actually do it. Um, And part of that is just my confidence and working on my skills to get there. And everybody learns and grows at different rates. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it definitely doesn't have to take that long. Mm-hmm. And it will never happen if you don't start studying it. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. like, like it's not, it, I, I, I picture all the investors out there that are missing out on really good deals that they don't even know they're missing out on because it's not a good wholesale deal. It's not a good retail deal. The seller just owes too much or the seller just is like stuck on some price that's way too much for that. And they're, they don't even know to say, what if we did it some other way? And they're, they're just missing it. And what, what at least starting to bother to learn about it does for you is it at least makes you realize what you're missing. And that often drives you to go get the education that you need. Now, Matt, you actually gave a talk yesterday at Cori on this topic, and you said something. Uh, you said something about um, why people have this like barrier in their heads about like seller financing is super difficult. It's way too hard for me. Can you can you share what you think that is? Well, I think there's there's multiple aspects to it. One is that people's instinctual reaction until they learn more about seller financing, until they've actually uh, spoken with a, a seller who has understood the benefits that they communicated uh, about it, is that they they ask themselves the question, why would any seller do this? Like, I don't understand why I would do this. So I can't translate that to the situation of any seller that they might be in as to why they would do it. And I think having a deep understanding of why a seller might uh, might benefit from seller financing is a really important uh, starting point because there's a lot of different seller situations, circumstances where one or another type of seller financing can benefit them, but very often they're not going to to know this. So you have to care. You have to dig in and find out more about their situation, often develop rapport with them over time before you can get enough information to be able to craft a, a seller finance solution for them that you both of you can explain and is going to be a better solution for them than just an all cash uh, offer. And, and that, that does take time and effort, but it starts with caring about the seller and finding out about their situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's just, a, it's a little different from what everybody is, is kind of taught coming into real estate, which is either here's how much you can pay if you pay cash. And it's a simple formula, right? It's just okay, the ARV times 0.7 minus repair costs, and that's what I can pay, unless I'm a wholesaler, in which case I have to knock another $5,000 off of that. And it's much more, um, seller financing is much more like you must 
be be patient enough to explain it. You must actually care whether the seller is going to come out better with a subject to or an owner carry back or something. You, there's a bunch of things that you have to do that aren't part of the basic education that most people get. In, yeah, that's absolutely estate. true. And and there's not a simple formula. Seller financing can be very bespoke. And what drives that customization is what are the needs and circumstances of the seller. And in order to, to craft that and craft it optimally, you really have to do the work up front, both in terms of educating yourself and understanding uh, the hows and, and whys about seller financing, but also understanding the particulars of a seller's situation and how these techniques might ad best address that. Excellent. We're going to we're going to take a little bit of an early break because the inbox is kind of filling up with questions that people have about seller financing. And if you have one of those questions, feel free to, you know, just call and talk to us. We well, we do bite, but we can't because we're on the radio and you're on the phone. So like it would be impossible for us to, to bite you. 877-772-9658. 877-772-9658. You can also... Just send an email. Send it to askvina at gmail.com. Support comes from Ellsworth & Associates, a dedicated team of accounting professionals serving Greater Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky with over 25 years of experience. They provide real estate investors advice and tax strategies and business advice in analyzing potential property investments. More information from Ellsworth & Associates at 513-272-8400 or at ellsworthcpa.com. And we check on traffic now. We have an accident Bramble at Plainville, accident New Biddinger at Lees Creek, that's out in Harrison. Also on in Paddock at Tennessee, an accident Colerain at Springdale, Mad River at West, West Alex Bell up near Dayton, uh, Old Ribold at Roos Oak Drive, an accident on Redding at Jefferson, and uh, 28 at Deerfield out in Loveland. Southbound 75, this is a new one near Paddock, which has traffic back towards Cooper, and uh, that's about it. Your weather forecast this evening, some more rain. Overnight tonight, we get down to 62, 70% chance tonight, 80% chance tomorrow, maybe a thunderstorm, a high of 75. Then finally ending Friday morning, sunny Friday afternoon, a high of 82. Saturday, Sunday, sunny, 85. Saturday, 88. Sunday, we're going to stay in the upper 80s next week, too. Right now, it's 66 degrees here at WMKV and WLHS. Learn more about the latest health news from a nurse's perspective on the Ask a UC Nurse edition of HealthScope, the second Monday of the month at 1 p.m., and featuring nurses from the University of Cincinnati College of Nursing. It's informative, and you can call in to ask questions. Ask a UC Nurse, the second Monday of the month at 1 p.m. as part of HealthScope, on your station for music, nostalgia, news, and radio comedies and dramas. The Maple Knoll Radio Network. Made possible by Coors Core Fitness and Cincinnati Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guests today are Cincinnati Rio President Michelle Clayton and Matt Adams, a.k.a. The Smart Boy. And if you're listening to the program and you're going, yeah, I probably should learn more about seller financing and you want a real easy way to start that tomorrow night at the Cincinnati RIA meeting, which is online, or I'm sorry, which is live, but also simulcast. So it's not an online meeting. It's a live meeting that you would be able to watch from your house as well. Uh, 
Michelle is giving the first hour's worth of presentation on how and why sellers finance. So this is a a way to make you understand what kinds of sellers with what kinds of problems are willing to do this and not just willing, but in many cases, like anxious. Once they understand what you're offering them, they're like, yes, I like that better. I like that better than any cash offer I've gotten. You can come to that meeting live here in Cincinnati or by live, I mean in person, or you can get a link to join online at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's com. There is no charge for members or for first time guests. So you're listening, you're going, okay, I want to see like more. I want to see slides. I want to see examples. That's your big chance tomorrow night. That meeting starts at six o'clock at seven thirty. I'm doing a presentation that is it's basically a wholesale market update. It's called How Successful Wholesalers Are Being Successful in the Crazy Twenty Twenty One Market. Again, CincinnatiRia.com to get your link to join online from any place in the country or maybe even come in person. Get your seat to come in person. CincinnatiRia.com. Okay, guys, we're going to go to listener questions. And actually, the first one of these is more of a listener comment. This is from Deborah. She says, the best advice I got on seller financing was from Vina a few years ago. And before I say what this is, let me tell you, I'm pretty sure I heard this from somebody else. I'm pretty sure I didn't make this up. But uh, she basically said, I don't pay interest on seller finance deals. If they want to lend me $80,000, I'll give them 8% interest and go buy someone else's house. But if they need to sell their house to me, I'll agree to a payment with them and never bring up interest rates. <laughs> Boy, I'm I'm brilliant. Just pat, breaking my arm, patting myself <laughs> on the back right now for what I said that I probably heard from somebody else first many years ago. Um, so uh, first question is pro- probably more for Michelle. This one is from Lydia. She says, what kinds of property is seller finance good for? Seller financing can work on pretty much any type of property. <laughs> Basically, if you can talk to the seller, then you can and you can work something out, then it would work. My first one in 2015 was actually a six-unit apartment building. And then um, the ones since then have been single-family homes. But, you know, I've heard of people using seller financing for large apartment complexes, um, different types of commercial properties, such as self-storage units. So the, the key is being able to talk to the seller and seeing if you guys can come to an agreement if you're able to talk to the person. Mm-hmm. Now, Michelle, you have a particularly a particular favorite kind of property to use this on. It's It's as you said, it can't, I mean, if it's got a deed, you can do seller financing on it. But you have a particular preference about the kind of deal you like to do. So could you describe that for Lydia and everybody else? Sure. My ideal property is at least three bedroom, single family home in the suburbs um, where somebody will want to be a homeowner. And um, ideally needing not a ton of work, I have brought in cash partners on deals where I need it 
to get more work done before it would be rent ready. Um, and then, so just you know, standard, nice single family home where people would want to be homeowners. Mm-hmm. So like bread and butter and move up type areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I think the important question to ask Lydia is not what kind of properties is these good for. Are these good for? Whew. I'm going to lose my grammar mafia card. What not, not what kind of properties are these good for? But what kind of properties do you like, Lydia? Like, is your favorite kind of property a two family? Is it a is it a, a single family in a rental area? Is it a multifamily in a class A area? Because it's not about it's not about like where can you do it because you can do it anywhere. It's about what kind of property do you personally want to end up with? I bought a lot of seller finance deals in kind of lowish income rental areas, particularly when I was first in real estate, because those were the properties I could afford. Those were the properties I could afford the payment on, uh, even if the unit was vacant, because, you know, you, sellers, seller financing is like bank financing. You have to make the payment every month, whether you're getting a payment or not. And that was the kind of property I was comfortable with. So that's what I did. I just I went after that kind of property and just talked to sellers about financing that kind of property. Whatever your favorite kind is, that's what you that's what you want to try and do seller finance deals on. Um, this question, I think, is more for Matt. You brought this up, so you get to answer it. In as simple as in 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 words with as few syllables as possible. Okay, how does you are really amping up the level of difficulty here? How does the seller save capital gains taxes by offering seller financing? Asks Sharon. Well, there's actually several ways, but again, given the time constraints of the show, let's talk about two basic techniques. One way is to avoid generating a capital gain to begin with by not selling the property. Well, how do you offer seller financing if you don't actually sell the property? Well, of course, the answer is is that you offer control, meaning you as the investor accept some control of the property, control sufficient that you can make a deal that's profitable and beneficial to you, but that doesn't actually transfer title from the seller. So if there's, if there's the title and uh, not all the, the responsive ownership uh, don't transfer, there's no capital gains tax liability created. So the common way of doing that is to use what's called a master lease and potentially com- uh, combined with an option, the right to buy the property. But it could just be a master lease. And a master lease is simply a uh, document that would give you control over the use of the property, allowing you to sublease it and make a profit between what you were agreeing to pay the, quote, seller, or they weren't actually selling, and the tenant that you would sublease to. And that uh, income stream is part of your profit. And especially if that lease goes on for a a, a substantial period of time and give you a lot of control over the property in the future. Again, potentially coupled with an option to buy the property uh, either uh, down the road some at some agreed upon price uh, now or not. So, Sharon, to give you a, a real direct example, there's a Cincinnati RIA member that I know who's working on buying a four-family in a fairly expensive area here in Cincinnati, and the seller wants a lot of money for it. Like it's it's a price that if you went to the bank and financed it, probably the property wouldn't cash flow. 
And one of the reasons the seller is asking so much is he's owned it for like 25 years. And if he sells it, he's going to have to pay tens of thousands of dollars in capital gains taxes. And depreciation recapture in all likelihood. But he also needs to sell it because he doesn't live in Cincinnati anymore. And it's kind of hard to manage rentals when you live a thousand miles away. So the offer that this Cincinnati REA member is making is let me not buy your property. Because why would you want to pay $60,000 with a capital gains tax? Let me become your, let's call it master tenant. Let me, let me lease the whole building from you, all four units from you for 2500 a month which is not what you're getting in rent from the tenants, but also I'm going to manage the tenants from then on. And also I'm going to do the turnovers. And also I'm going to pay you that 2500 a month, even when one of the units is vacant. And I will pay your incredibly silly high price sometime in the next 15 years. So what what is he getting out of that? He's getting a payment of 2500 a month on a property that right now grosses roughly 3000 or 3500 a month and he's also getting the right to buy it sometime way off in the future when it's going to be more than what the seller's asking for it right now so he, the 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 investor will be very happy if the seller accepts this offer because he will have okay cash flow now but then when he improves the units that cash flow will go up and up and up and up and up as time goes by and as the value of the building goes up, the amount he has to pay for it doesn't change. The seller's going to be very happy with it because no $60,000 capital gains bill until the investor actually buys it. And with the age of the seller, 15 years could be after that guy's dead. So um, that's one way. And you said there was a second way. There's actually many more ways, but just for simplicity's sake, one of the ways that the taxes that would normally be owed on the sale of a property, if there's a gain can be deferred is simply through the installment sale treatment. Uh, this is very, this existed for a long time and it's very clearly covered by even the IRS and their own uh, publications, publication 537, I believe. The installment sale treatment allows the seller to pay their taxes on gain received over time. So it doesn't eliminate the capital gains tax, but when the seller accepts their uh, their uh, equity and profit over time, that taxable gain is spread out over the period of time that the financing is received. So it, by deferring the payment of that tax, they're effectively paying the IRS less money in the future as well due to inflation because dollars that are paid out in the future are worth less than dollars that are paid now. And there's a lot of different ways that that potentially can be structured and taken advantage of. But it results in the seller not having one huge tax bill that they have to come up with funds for now and having to pay all of that in the near term. And let me add, listeners, while his answer was, to my knowledge, correct, never give your sellers tax advice. That's true. Do not tell them, hey, if we do it this way, then you won't have to pay, you'll, you'll get the, the installment sale treatment because you don't know what their personal tax situation is. Tell them that you have heard that a lot of people do this and that they need to consult with their tax professional in order to make sure that it applies to them important point. Okay, so back to Michelle. Um, you and I have discussed off and on 
that the flip side of people who believe that seller finance is too complicated and they'll they'll look at it later and they, and and they're missing out on a lot of stuff. There are also people who like they watch one YouTube video and they decide that they understand enough about a seller carry back or a lease option or a subject to that they should just go jump in with both feet and go make a commitment to a seller to pay them $198,000 over the course of the next 20 years and how kind of frightening that is because it's is seller finance is not something you can learn in a 20 minute YouTube video. It's just not. So there's, there's a balance there. I mean, there, there's, there's, yes, everyone in my opinion should pursue this and learn how to do it and do it if it fits with their goals. But there's, there's a balance there where I don't, I know enough to know I want to do it, but I don't know enough to know exactly how it works, but I kind of want to do it because I found a deal that would work for that person, for that person who understands the benefits, but doesn't really understand maybe the technicalities or how to negotiate or how to evaluate it. What do you recommend? Oh boy. There are a ton of technicalities with the different structures, depending on what you want to use. Just as an example of what Matt was giving, you know, there could be implications for taxes. There could be implications for, um, you know, due on sale clause. There could be implications, um, you know, legally or risk wise of, you know, if you want to make sure that you don't get sued. (laughs) So, um, that's why, like, definitely, I didn't just, uh, for my education, didn't just attend the focus groups. I also took classes. I attended some courses where they were more in-depth um, and that were offered. And I do know, like, I'm continuing to learn from those more advanced people so that I can learn all the caveats because you need to be aware and so that you're not running into where you're not inadvertently doing something that is dangerous to you or your seller with risk. And so I'm continuing always my education and highly encourage others to not just learn from YouTube, um, but to also continue to learn from courses. I continue regularly. I'm on Facebook a lot, as many know, and every now and then you get people suggesting some things that are huge red flags and I try to speak up when I see those so people don't get into trouble but um, definitely the continued education with more in-depth classes I do know that there's one coming up in August with Pete Fortunato that I will be attending and I've been pestering for all the details on the hotel which I think is all worked out now and everything Mm -hmm. so (laughs) I will be there and continuing my education. And I'm always trying to learn from people that are more advanced in creative deal structures. And it sounds like not just beyond, beyond even the classes, when you have one on the table, you know people that you can ask about those specific deals. Like you can just go to somebody and say, hey, you've done a bunch of these. Show, tell, me, tell me what Absolutely. I'm missing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, those... Knowing, identifying who are those people that are more advanced. So anytime you want to try something new, running it by them. And um, 
you know, so I've identified people where I consider them mentors, whether there's an official relationship or not. And I can run my numbers by them, run the deals by them, and make sure that I'm not getting myself or the seller into trouble with the situation that I'm proposing. I would recommend that investors newer to creative deal structuring and seller financing do two things. Number one, when you're speaking to a seller, and you do have to actually speak to sellers to negotiate these types of deals, speak hypothetically. Say, use phrases like, what if we did this? Because that's much easier to say and much easier for them to consider uh, saying yes to than anything that they are going to perceive as a binding commitment. And it's probably more comfortable for you because until you work out all the details, you don't have a, a binding commitment. You want to make sure that you're on the same page and you address any misunderstandings. Um, secondly, I will second exactly what Michelle says about learning from more experienced investors. You should meet people in person who have experience with these uh, various techniques and doing deals in various ways via your local uh, real estate association through high quality networking groups and conferences and through high quality educational seminars. You should get to know those people. And when, when possible, if you are, have a deal opportunity that uh, someone else would know how to do or could could easily accomplish, but that you don't have all the pieces of the puzzle together, team up with that person. Especially when you're newing, it, newer, it is well worth giving up part of the benefits of that deal to have an, a more experienced investor who's done this before, who's dealt with all of the issues and knows the answer to these questions, riding shotgun with you. And the best way to have that person involved in your deal and be invested in your success is to cut them in on the benefits. Yeah, everybody's looking for deals right now. So the, those experienced investors, you know, that you're afraid to approach and say, hey, I'm, you know, a newbie. If you say, I'm a newbie and I have this interesting looking deal on the table, which I would be very happy to cut you in for half of or three quarters of just so I could see how you do it and know how to do it myself. I think there would be people in your area, wherever that is, that would be up for that. Uh, we need to take one last break. I want to encourage you guys who have uh, more questions to go ahead and send them in right now to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guests today, Matt Adam and Michelle Clayton, who, again, is giving a full hour-long presentation called How and Why Sellers Finance Deals tomorrow night at the Cincinnati RIA meeting. Um, if you're in the Cincinnati area, hey, come on by. It's up at the uh, Holiday Inn in uh across from ikea everybody knows where ikea is nobody knows where the holiday inn is or you can watch the simulcast from the comfort of your own home wherever that is but either way you have to get a link at cincinnatiria.com that's cincinnati c-i-n-c-i-n-n-a-t-i-r-e-i-a.com all right, we are going to go back to the uh, questions from listeners, and I suspect, although Michelle, you know, feel free to comment on this one too, I suspect this one is for Matt. The question is, can I buy 
a rental property with seller financing in my self-directed IRA, and is that a good idea? Well, the answer to that is a bit involved. (laughs) First, you have to accept the idea that you can buy uh, property like a rental property in your self-directed account. Now, should you? That's kind of a separate question because there are additional responsibilities and liabilities that go with buying a rental in your self-directed account that might not be uh, be associated with another type of asset that you could invest in, even though it was real estate related, like a note or an option. But assuming that you're uh, willing to take on those responsibilities and have a a rental property in your self-directed account, uh, using seller financing for part of the purchase price could be a great way potentially of getting that asset into a self-directed account where either an all cash purchase isn't a good solution or common with especially the smaller dollars uh, self-directed accounts you aren't able to contribute enough money to the account to be able to pay all cash for the property or um, you uh, both because of the contribution limits or you just simply aren't able to contribute enough yet to the account and if you can do that um, there's a number of of benefits that arise of having all the profits go back tax-free or tax-deferred into your account. Now, one thing you have to be mindful of is that with certain types of seller financing, and this gets into the details, this could subject your account to a particular type of tax called UBIT. And there, if you acquire property in a self-directed account with financing, some types of even seller financing can trigger this tax, which is not to say that you shouldn't do it because you might be able to acquire an asset for that account that you couldn't otherwise without the seller financing. Also very important for any type of financing that you use with a self-directed account is that it it cannot be personally guaranteed by the beneficiary, the account owner. So as a result of that, typically it has to be structured as non-recourse financing. The great thing about seller financing, including techniques like subject to, is that they commonly are or can be made uh, non-recourse without any uh, challenges. In fact, more easily than bank loans can be made Certainly, <laughs> Certainly so. So, Michelle, there was one question I guaranteed you someone was going to answer or was going to ask, and it just it just came in just like I said it was going to. Sandra would like to know how you find the sellers that you end up doing seller finance deals with. The exact same way I find wholesale deal sellers. Um, Basically, no matter what type of deal it ends up being, you're looking for that motivated seller with that motivated situation. So it could be somebody that is behind on their taxes, behind on their mortgage, Um, somebody, as you mentioned earlier, where they have a property, but they live out of town now, and so they can't manage it themselves, and, um, or, and, you know, there's, and not pretty much any type of the usual list of motivated sellers, that's the same place where I find the ones that do the creative deals. And that's honestly how I found all of my leads is I was marketing for wholesale deals because I was wholesaling. And, you know, I would still ask those questions. Would you consider selling with picking over your payments or, um, you know, always offering that creative structure, whatever fit their situation. 
with the cash offer. And just as I got more knowledge and was able to explain it better, then I started getting some sellers actually saying yes to my creative offers instead of just my wholesale cash offers. Thank you. Okay, you each have 30 seconds to answer this question. The name of this particular episode was what is the big deal about creative finance or about seller financing? So Michelle, in 30 seconds, what is the big deal about seller financing? I love how easy it is to be able to buy properties working one-on-one with the seller, not having to deal with a bank with all their complicated rules and endless paperwork. And it has been the way that I have acquired most of my net worth and most of my monthly income. So it is a win all around for me. Matt, what is the big deal about seller financing? Because the most valuable part of real estate and the most rewarding part is the relationships with others. And one of the best ways to build lasting relationships with many benefits is to buy or control a property from a seller to pay them, deliver benefits to to them, and have the opportunity to work with them again, to have repeat and referral business that springs off from that, and to establish your track record that you do what you say, that you can show to others going forward in the business. Thank you, Michelle Clayton and Matthew Adams. Again, like to extend an invitation out to anybody listening who wants to learn more about seller financing. Come to the Cincinnati RIA meeting tomorrow night, either in person or live via simulcast. CincinnatiRIA.com is the place where you would go to get more information and that link. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.